I thought, wait a minute, I can either keep focusing on all the things I can't do or I can be grateful for what I can do. And I grabbed this little journal that somebody had brought me to the hospital and I started writing down everything I was grateful for. And I noticed immediately I started to feel better and I started to focus on all the things that I still had. And I, you know, some people might be going, you can be grateful sitting in a hospital bed. And I actually could. I didn't know if tomorrow was the day they were going to amputate my leg. Welcome back to another episode of The Burn. I am Ben Newman, and you know how we do this every single week. We're going to bring you an amazing story of somebody who's fought through challenge, fought through adversity, entrepreneurs, entertainers, athletes, sharing their burn. We talk about it every week. Why and purpose is not enough. It's so important, but you have to connect to your burn. It's that fire inside of you that ignites your why and your purpose that causes you to be disciplined in your action as you write your story. With everything going on in the world today, it's so easy to allow your feelings to dictate how you show up. You got to stay connected to that burn and continue to live to your standard every day. Today, you get to hear from my friend Amberly Lago. Her story is amazing. You talk about turning tragedy into triumph. She has lived it. She's an author. You've maybe seen her on the Today Show. Maybe you read True Grit and Grace, her amazing book, but you're going to get to feel her fire and her passion that comes from her burn. Now, Amberly, I am incredibly excited. We got to meet as a result of you finding out about our mental toughness forum this year. And you reached out, we started messaging back and forth. So we've got to be on each other's podcast before I welcome you to the show. I do want everybody to know Amberly will also be one of our featured speakers next year for the mental toughness forum. So I'm so excited about that. Amberly, welcome to the burn. Oh my goodness. Thank you. First of all, for that amazing introduction and having me on your show. I love your podcast and I am so honored to get to be one of your speakers at your amazing. I got to see your last event and I was like, wow, you have some of the most incredible speakers. So I'm truly honored. Thank you. Well, I'm so appreciative of you accepting that invitation. And, you know, once you reached out, then I got to see so much of your story and your passion, how you've overcome adversity. I'm not going to tell your story, uh, but one thing I do want to share, it's, it's kind of amazing how these things happen in life, but you faced significant adversity at 38. Once again, I'm going to let you tell the story. Amberly, my mother passed away at 38. Oh. And, you know, for me, that that number, it's 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 a hard number for me. You know, when I think of my mom being 38 years old, she was so young. I'm 43 years old. So every day past 38 has been a gift. I mean, my mother didn't get any days past that. And so the level of intentionality I have around that number I remember dropping my kids off at school, you know, when I turned 30. I mean, it was just so hard. There was never a year in my life that I wanted to not be 38, which is probably the same for you. You probably would give anything to to bypass that. And I'm going to let you speak to it. I can see the emotion in your eyes already. Um, But I think the blessing that that unites us is that, you know, you've been through challenge and adversity. I've been through challenge and adversity. And 
You know, some individuals like my mother didn't get the days they deserved, but you and I have the opportunity, even though the pain we've both experienced at that age of 38, um, you know, we get to choose to continue to fight on. So I, I'd love, I, I know I was, I, I told you I was going to take you to an emotional place and I didn't tell you how I was going to do it. Yeah. Um, you already so made I, me cry, Ben. <laughs> so I, I appreciate your heart and your vulnerability um, with your tears and your emotion. But Amberly, share, share with us, and you could certainly start, um, you know, earlier than 38, but um, definitely help us understand your challenge, the adversity oh. that you've been through to, to get to where you are today. Well, I just love that your heart and um, the story of how you continue the fight for your mom. And so it's just beautiful. Um, yeah. And at 38, I really believe I had all my guardian angels working overtime and definitely God was watching over me because, um, when I, so I was coming home from work on my motorcycle and I got T-boned by an SUV and I was thrown 30 feet and sliding across the asphalt. When I came to a stop, I looked down at my leg and it was completely crumbled to pieces. I did not know how serious it was. In fact, when I first looked down at it, I thought, oh, this can't be good. I might have to train clients on crutches for a while. Like that was my first mm. thought is how am I going to continue to work? And then uh, there was, you know, the pain was unbearable and I was actually screaming out some cuss words. And then my next thought was, oh, my Methodist mama wouldn't be too proud of me for saying these cuss words right now. And I had this guardian angel, I swear he was an angel. I don't know who he is today, but he came over because no one wanted to come up to me. I guess I looked pretty scary and I was screaming, <laughs> but this guy made, he ripped his belt off right away and he made a tourniquet on my leg and he saved my life um, because my femoral artery was actually severed and I was bleeding out. So I got taken to the hospital. The paramedics were actually right down the road. So they were running towards me before they even got the call. And luckily I got to the hospital pretty quick, but they had to put me in induced coma because um, my organs were failing. I'd lost so much blood and they couldn't control my pain. So um, the, the hospital room was crazy. There just, there was this um, so many cops there. Cause my husband is in the, he was a Lieutenant commander and I guess, you know, news travels fast in the police force. And so the ER was filled with policemen and I hear this crying and loud and I look and it's my husband and I'd never seen him cry. He's this big, tough guy, I'd never seen him cry. And he was crying hysterically running back and forth in the hospital. And I screamed across the room, you know, I'm taped to the gurney and I couldn't really see or anything what was going on exactly, but I screamed across the room. I said, Johnny, get over here. I need you to be strong for me. And I needed to know at that moment that he was going to be okay if I didn't pull through, that he was going to be okay for our two daughters. And that's the last thing I remember before, you know, he held my hand and then they put me in induced coma. And a little over a week later, I wake up out of a coma. And the first thing I learned was they were going to amputate my leg. Um, they said, you know, this is a war wound. You have a 1% chance of saving your leg. So we need to amputate. And I was like, wait a minute, 1% chance. Then you're saying there's a chance. And I hung on to that 1% chance. That was my glimmer of hope, which got me through 34 surgeries, 
months in the hospital the first time and the doctors, um, the team of doctors ended up saving my leg. And so I think that, you know, if we have that little bit of hope, sometimes that's all we need to carry us through. And that's what got me through so many surgeries. And still, you know, I try to, I like how you talk about that burn inside and that burn inside me uh, at some moments has been barely, barely a flicker. And I think it's really important to figure out what gets that burn bright so we can continue to move forward. Uh, it's just incredible hearing the, the details of, of what you went through from the pain to being into that induced coma. I mean, which people could not come out of that coma to waking up. And the first thing is having to make a decision. And then you holding on to the 1%, you know, how many people don't, you know, hold on to that 1%. They just automatically go to the 99%. There's so many lessons there and so much strength that you showed. I know it's been a very, very hard, long road for you, but as a result of the surgeries and the response of your body, there was also um, a chronic disease um, mm -hmm. that's very, very rare. Um, that's now something you live with every single day as a result of the injury. Can you tell us a little bit about that as well? Yeah. You know, I, I think that sometimes, uh, and I had people ask me, you know, a year, two years after my accident and, you know, I'd have a surgery and a day of recovery. Sometimes I'd have six months of recovery and then surgery. And I remember I was in the gym and I was walking out of the gym and this lady goes, you know, you really shouldn't limp. And, um, you know, she mm. had no idea what I live with every day. And I was diagnosed about three and a half months after the accident, I was diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome and, you know, here I was, doctor said it'd take me about two years to walk again. And I was already upright on crutches. I mean, my leg was still, you know, looked like I'd been through a war. I'm scarred from the, the hip down. Um, but I remember going to this one doctor and I was so excited. I thought he's going to be so proud of me because I am standing upright. And I walked in his office and he ran out of the office and I looked at my husband and I thought, well, that wasn't really what I was expecting. <laughs> and he came back in and examined me. He said, you've got something very serious. And I said, well, I know I got hit by an SUV. He said, no, you've got a nerve disease and you're going to be permanently disabled. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, are you the kind of person who likes to push through pain? And I kind of thought, well, yeah, isn't that obvious? I'm standing here upright. <laughs> I mean, I got a PhD and suck it up. And uh, he's like, you need to stop. You need to stop right now. He goes, there is no cure for this. You're never going to work again. You need to go back and get in your wheelchair. And I said, okay, well, for how long? And um, he said, forever. And I left there and I was crushed. I felt like I had just been kicked in the gut and I cried all the way home. And then I went to physical therapy and I told him, I said, you know what? He goes, Amberly, you don't have an appointment today. What are you doing here again? And I said, you know what? His name's uh, Terry. I said, Terry, I said, I know I don't have an appointment, but I just learned something. I'm going to have to work harder than I've ever worked before if I want to have the life that I have always imagined. And let me tell you, I did not know how hard that was going to be. And so I, for a long time, didn't believe I was like, there's no way I actually have this nerve disease. I mean, I was in a lot of, a I was in a lot of pain, 
but I thought that was kind of part of it. And I think growing up an athlete, I was a, and a dancer, you know, I, I was taught to push through the pain and I was trying my best to do that. And I was trying to suck it up, but man, suck it up only gets you so far. I went to other doctors and they said, yeah, I was hoping they would say, no, that one doctor was wrong. You don't have this nerve disease. We'll just get you, you know, this treatment and you'll be all better. Well, I went to every doctor and they said the same thing. You've got this nerve disease. So I went on to take radical action and have several invasive procedures, which, uh, you know, spinal stimulator, which they implant nerve metal nerve leads into your spine. I had Eastern Western medicine. I mean, anybody that said I can get you out of pain, I was going for it. I had, we had $2.9 million worth of medical expenses. I had never done a drug in my life. And now I was being induced with ketamine and I was on 73 homeopathic pills and 11 different prescription medications and nothing was working. Oh my and, goodness. And it really drove me to a place where I went from this successful had this career. I was sponsored by Nike. I was always the go-getter of my family and very success-minded to now all of a sudden, Ben, I started drinking every day to cope with the pain. And that worked until it didn't. And um, I, I feel blessed that I went down a road of, you know, despair and I almost wanted to give up. And I think what really pulled me through the darkest day of my life, and some people think, you know, being in the hospital was probably the hardest thing you've ever been through. And it's not, it was living with this nerve disease and about ready to give up. And what pulled me through was I asked God, I need help. <clears throat> and my kids, sorry, I'm getting emotional. I'm so grateful that I didn't give up. And so my burn was, I want to be an example of somebody who is resilient for my children. I don't, I, I don't want to be a victim of my circumstances. I want to be a product of resiliency. And, you know, we all have that ability, but we have to decide. And then we have to have a willingness every day to actually work to get better. And so um, by the grace of God, man, I got some help and I got sober back in 2016. Um, and that's where the grit and the grace comes from because gosh, it takes a lot of grit to get through this nerve disease that's ranked highest on the pain scale. That's actually dubbed the suicide disease because there's no known cure and it and it's worse than like having a kidney stone or having a baby. And I've had, you know, both and I can attest it is worse, but I think that with, you know, if you believe, you know, what I believe in God, if you have something that you can believe in, that's bigger than you. And I needed that. I mean, I, I grew up a Christian, but I think going through this has got, has, strengthened my relationship with God. And, um, I think that if we develop a mindset to get us through that and, and, and for me, I think that any transformation really starts with radical, radical honesty and acceptance and, and being 
self-aware of what's working for you and what's not working for you. And obviously for me, you know, I remember when I was drinking, thinking, you know, this isn't the healthiest thing to do, but if this is what I have to do to get through the pain, then I'll, I'll do that. And I thought that's not working for me. And I think that everything we do, whether it's our thoughts, whether it's what we eat, whether it's if we're working out or not working out is either helping us or hurting us. And, um, I think that if we really take, and it's not always easy to take that radical acceptance, but that's where we can start to take a good, hard look at our life and start to make better decisions to keep moving forward. It's incredible hearing your story and the, the depth of the pain that you live with and what you've gone through. And, and I just appreciate your vulnerability and transparency of, of sharing the fight with alcohol. Uh, you know, I, I've had that in my family after my mother passed away and my father moved back into the house. And it, it's it's so hard. And, and you really learn what one day at a time means. That's that's mm-hmm. so much of, you know, the program that gets you through AA. Um, you know, I would go to children's alcoholic anonymous meetings. Right. And you're learning all of these things that, you know, your parents are learning and and what you've learned. Um, now, I clearly understand why you're sharing the stage with Ed Milet at uh, at events. Your story is so powerful and the manner in which you express it is so powerful. One of the things that, that I think is just so attractive about how you show up to help other people is something that I believe at a very, very high level is, you know, our stories can push and motivate and inspire, but, you know, you've actually curated tools, you know, to help people continue their fight. And I think that's so important, you know, to me, I always feel as a speaker, if, if we just laugh and we cry together and I don't leave you with anything that you can do to change, I haven't really done my mm-hmm. job because at the end of the day, that just becomes a fleeting experience. But I was really attracted to how, um, you know, you have really curated tools. And I know through your writing, through True Grit and Grace, what would you say is the most significant tool that somebody can use to navigate themselves through adversity? What, what have you found is, is best? Well, something that I use every single day, and I actually started this in the hospital was, um, it was a moment where I felt myself literally sinking down into depression. Um, and I thought, wait a minute, I can either keep focusing on all the things I can't do, or I can be grateful for what I can do. And I grabbed this little, journal that somebody had brought me to the hospital and I started writing down everything I was grateful for. And I noticed immediately I started to feel better and I started to focus on Mm. all the things that I still had. And I, you know, some people might be going, you can be grateful sitting in a hospital bed. And I actually could, I didn't know if tomorrow was the day they were going to amputate my leg, but I noticed by shifting my perspective with gratitude, it made me feel that I'm alive, I can breathe. And I think that gratitude is alchemy. It really gets you focused on all the things that you do have and all the things that you can do. And so it's something that I still use every day. It's something that I practice and it's the quickest and easiest thing for you to do. I mean, look, I had so many doctors trying to put me on antidepressants and they just didn't work for me. And, you know, Mm. If they work for other people, that's great. For me, it just didn't work. And so I had to figure out a way for me to feel better. So for my mindset, every single day, I practice gratitude. I have 
um, a group of ladies, we call ourselves the God Squad. And every day we are accountability partners and we text each other every single day, 10 things that we're grateful for. Because it's one thing to say, I'm grateful for the view or to breathe, those things. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing to actually write it down. And so you feel it, but when you can share it and then you get to see somebody else, what they're grateful for, it really shifts your perspective. One day I was having kind of a hard day and I looked at my girlfriend's gratitude list and it was her last day of chemo. And I thought, Amberly, snap out of it. Like you've got so much to be grateful for. And another thing that I do that is a non-negotiable for me is I move my body however I can, working out, just move however I can. And, you know, coming from a place where a doctor told me I'd never work again, walk again, and to get back in my wheelchair, that just wasn't the vision that I had for me. And I think it's really important for you to visualize where you want to go and what you want your life to look like. And so for me, I, I would, I would uh, envision myself walking. And at first, it was just minutes at seconds at a time and then minutes at a time. And then before you knew it, I was on crutches. But if you can hold the vision and work every day towards that vision and feed that vision with positivity every day and make sure you're surrounding yourself with people who believe in you and encourage you and believe in your dreams, it is such a game changer. But, you know, even in the hospital, the doctors kind of thought I was crazy because I couldn't stand up or to even use the bathroom on my own. And I said, I'm going to need a pull-up bar installed over the hospital bed. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yep, I just need to be able to keep my upper body strong. And it wasn't like I was thinking I got to get big biceps or lats. I was like, I need to just feel better and moving your body moves your mood. And so I knew if I could do that, and I had one of the trainers from the gym that I worked with. He brought me some dumbbells. He didn't think I was crazy. Like he, he totally got it. So in between surgeries, I was lifting my body up off the bed. I was doing curls and I still do that. There, people think I'm motivated. I'm not motivated. Uh, sometimes I, I struggle. I'm not always motivated. I sometimes struggle to even get to the gym, but I think about how it's going to make me feel afterwards and I know the reason why I'm doing it. And it's because I want to feel good. Yes, I want to be strong. Yeah, I want to look good. I want to, you know, I'm 50. I want to keep my muscle mass. But it's because of how it makes me feel. And so if you can shift your perspective and your and work on your mindset with and get grateful and have that accountability and move your body. And I love that you talk so much, Ben, about um balance. And if you can do the things like, I think it's important. We have family days. I love to work and I could just literally be, you know, working all the time, but I'm like, okay, I got to also work on my mindset. I got to work on getting stronger in the gym. I need to spend, you know, I want to spend time with my family. And so, um, those are probably the things that help me the most. I, I love it, Amber. I, I love your your story, how you used it for a source of strength and resilience. Uh, it's fantastic to see the, the tools that you've developed and how you apply them every single day. We're going to make sure for everybody watching or listening that True Grit and Grace, you'll find a link to be able to pick that up on Amazon.com. 
amberlylago.com. We'll also send a link. But tell us uh, about your Instagram. I know you're very intentional there as well and how other people can stay connected with you, Amberly. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you can find me at Amberly Lago Motivation. And that is me posting some kind of silly videos sometimes. But I mostly I'm there to share my experience, um, to inspire, to give hope, but to give tools to be resilient. Um, and also, you know, you can find um, a free download. I talk about something called the pacer method. And it's like a five part process uh, that I use for, you know, when I'm not feeling as resilient, I tap into my perspective, acceptance, community, endurance and rest. And you can find that there at Amberly Lago Motivation as well. Love it. Amberly, I am so excited. We got to wait until next August, but so excited that you will be part of the Mental Toughness Forum. And thank you for joining us on The Burn. I, I just appreciate so much how you show up in life. Oh, thank you so much. To everybody listening, this is The Burn. These are the stories that cause us to show up differently in our life. If you've struggled with what is your burn, I'm sure that Amberly's words will be empowering for you to slow down, to be intentional, and to find your connection, to find your burn. Each and every single week, we will continue to bring you these stories. Everything you need to know about Amberly and more, you will find in the show notes. Make sure to stay connected. And I haven't said it in a while. This is a powerful, powerful episode. Share this with somebody. Share this with somebody who's maybe down. Maybe they're out. Maybe they haven't been connecting to what they're grateful for in their lives. Please share this episode. Please continue to stay connected, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week on The Burn. This episode of The Burn Podcast is powered by BenNewmanCoaching.com, your number one source for increasing consistency in your life and building the mental toughness habits required to live the life of your dreams. From self-paced courses to live coaching with Ben and everything in between, head over to BenNewmanCoaching.com and join the thousands of members working to unlock their peak performance every day.